Great, thank you, Hannah. So as the children uh, leave for their groups and activities, um, if you'd like to be grabbing your Bible or a Bible app on your phone or whatever, you, or, or there's the readings on the service sheets, uh, and Vashti's going to come and, and read for us. Thanks. All right. A little bit far away, but okay. Um, so the reading is Romans 1, verses 18 through 27. And if you're in the Blue Bibles, it's page 939. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Vashti. Um, do keep that passage open. Uh, we'll be going all the way through to uh, verse 32. Um, but one of our convictions at, at Cornerstone Church, Colchester, is, is to work through Bible books so that we make sure that we teach everything that Jesus and his apostles taught, uh, not filtering out uh, the difficult bits, that, that the bits that run counter to our culture and, and maybe to our own feelings. Uh, I feel keenly... Uh, the difficulty of, of preaching this passage in, in our current cultural location. I'm, I'm aware of all the unhelpful things that have been said uh, by the church, all the misunderstandings, uh, all the lack of compassion uh, the church has, has had um, on this subject, or one of the subjects we're thinking about this morning. So, so let's pray, because I'm very conscious of my need for God's help. And I think we all need God's help as we come to this part of his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came into the world to take the punishment for the sins of all who trust in him and to give us your moral perfection, Lord God, to, to give us life. So, Father, please send your Holy Spirit on us now that we may understand and love your truth, that I may say things that are really helpful for us all and faithful 
to Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to make very clear at the outset what I'm not saying, because unfortunately churches uh, throughout history and across the world say some very unhelpful things on the whole issue of sexual identity. Well, I'm not saying that the variety of phobias, uh, by which I mean the hatred and violence that is often spewed against members of the LGBTQI plus community, is okay. It's not okay. Anyone, whatever their sexuality, whatever their identity, is welcome here. And, and we condemn utterly and without equivocation anything other than respect of those in that community. Uh, we also condemn anti-Semitism. Anything that shows a lack of respect of Jewish people, any violence or hatred, it is not Christian. And it's a stain on Christian history that often Jews have been treated appallingly. Now, I could spend the rest of my time talking about that, um, but we have this passage before us, and that's my focus. There's lots that I could be talking about. This is a vast area, and uh, we may misunderstand what I'm saying, so please do chat with me afterwards to check uh, that you've understood what I'm saying. And as this will be going out on the podcast, it'll be going out uh, publicly. Uh, we're really keen for those who might hear it and disagree with it to come and, and talk to us about it. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as we were seeing last week, is for all people, without qualification. All are welcome here. We seek to be a loving community, and that extends to absolutely everybody and anybody. We're committed to loving all people of any background. But what is difficult, I think, in today's culture, for, for many to understand, because our culture is increasingly atheistic and therefore guided by the mantra, the belief that there is no God, as Christians we cannot agree with that. We're not willing to live and to speak as if we are atheists, because, well, we're not. And by this I mean, that we, we, as Christians, we don't embrace anti-Christian ideology or other belief systems which are anti-Christian. Whether it's the atheism of some in the LGBTQI plus community and the ideologies that they uh, believe in, or some Jewish beliefs. Now, of course, for many, that may seem obvious. As Christians, we, we believe in Christianity. We don't believe in atheism or, or Judaism. But for others, it may be difficult. Because we're told today, aren't we, that the only way to be tolerant is the atheist way, which is a little bit ironic. In other words, to pretend that all these different beliefs are equally untrue. No. As Christians, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his teaching which we adhere to, which we build our lives on, our churches on. It's a, it's a good gospel, good news, as we were seeing the last couple of weeks. It's about love that accepts all people, Jew and Gentile. It's about love that accepts people as they are, but doesn't leave them as they are. See, Christianity, that is Christianity, doesn't accept atheism. 
And our, our real concern here at Cornerstone is where we do disagree is to talk respectfully and lovingly and compassionately with one another. Uh, Graham Norton has said as much recently with respect to J.K. Rowling, I'm sure we're aware of that debate, we should talk to people we disagree with, of course, with respect and compassion. So do please um, chat with me afterwards about anything that I say, uh, which is difficult or we struggle with. But I want to start really where we, we have much in common, uh, apart from particular atheist ideologies, I think. See, Christians believe in equality. All human beings are created equal, but not conformity. Uh, we believe in the value of human beings, but not in the actions of every human being. We, we believe in the supremacy of love, but not the love of eros, the love of agape. So do come and chat afterwards, uh, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, do contact me. Uh, just go on the website, and uh, I'd be very happy to meet up and chat. Now, as I'm sure we're aware, if we're to understand what Paul is saying here, the context and the argument that Paul is using is vital. And uh, Paul is not sharing his culturally bound ideas. That's not his claim. He's claiming to be speaking as an apostle of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, he puts it in, in verse 1. And, and as we've seen, this was an authority that Paul didn't just sort of make up. He claims to have met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and been commissioned by Jesus Christ with the gospel revealed to him personally in agreement with the other 12 apostles, but particularly for the Gentiles. And, and so he plans to go to Rome to have a harvest amongst the Gentiles, and he's planning to go on to Spain, which as we see or saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, he, never, he never made it there. But this is the gospel he speaks of in verse 16. So look with me at verse 16. Why is he making these plans to spread the gospel to Rome and beyond? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. In other words, to everybody. Paul is not going to be quiet about this gospel because it's God's gospel. It's God's power. That's his claim. It's not just his ideas. And it's God's way of making people like you and me right with him. Now, I thought we probably need a bit of humor right now because, you know, that's all fairly heavy, isn't it? And it's going to get heavier. So I thought a little bit of break for me and for you. Um, if I was to sum up this sermon, it would be what Paul is saying is, I'm not okay. You're not okay, but Jesus can make us okay. It's inspired by that uh, book uh, from the 60s, I'm okay, you're okay. We could say that that's our society's mantra, isn't it? As long as we don't say anybody is not okay, as long as we're happy to say everybody's okay. So a few jokes about being okay, okay? Uh, I'm now financially okay for life, as long as I die next Tuesday. What do you call an okay factory? Satisfactory. These are dad jokes, you know, these get better and better. And here's a joke now for those really weird sense of humour people, which I think I probably put myself in. 
two fish are in a tank, one turns to the other and says, okay, you man the guns, I'll drive. Now, some people haven't got that yet because it's just really bizarre. Anyway, just a little break. Light relief over, I'm afraid. Because Paul is deadly serious about this. And I make no apology because this is what the Apostle Paul, Christ's authoritative messenger to the whole world outside Israel. Three things that Paul proclaims. God is revealing his right anger at ungodliness. God hands idolaters over to futility and lust. So you and I can't judge anyone. That's what he's saying. Check that it is what he's saying. Look with me at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is where Paul begins his good news. I mean, why begin there, Paul? Why would you want to try and convince everybody that God's judgment is coming their way? See, wrath is not the same as temper tantrums. It, it's not an abusive anger. God is infinitely good, so his reaction to evil is totally fair. And as the source of all goodness and love, he rightly reveals in the world his fury at evil. This world has gone wrong. And God is cross about it, not in some kind of temper tantrum. No, as the source of all goodness and love. Paul says, you just flip over the page, chapter 2, verse 16. He talks about the judgment day of God being good news. On that day when, according to my gospel, my good news, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There's coming a day of judgment. So Hitler won't get away with it. Stalin won't get away with it. Pol Pot won't get away with it. Putin won't get away with it because they will all stand before God on Judgment Day. And that is good news if you're oppressed, if your life has been cut short in Ukraine, if you were in a hospital and you were bombed. That's good news. So what Paul is arguing in this whole section, just check that what he is saying is what I'm saying, is that everyone will face God's judgment. So chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We're all sinful, says Paul. Chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, by being a good person, whether the law is the Old Testament law of Israel, or the law of the Gentiles the virtues of Greece and Rome, no human will be justified in his sight. No human will be good enough for God, since through the law, through our moral code, whatever it might be, we know we don't keep it, even our own, even the made-up ones. I was giving out leaflets yesterday about the Queen and, and got into conversation with a couple who described themselves as atheists uh, that the wife had been educated in a convent, and, and said, she said, I mean, this, is, this has never happened to me before. Um, she said, well, imagine that we were all to die today and stand before God on Judgment Day. I was thinking, really? I thought you were an atheist. Anyway, okay, I'll go with it. 
uh, I'm a good person, I'll be okay. See, that's the common opinion, isn't it? We're all okay. I'm okay, you're okay. It's what our world wants us to believe. But Paul says, no, none of us are okay. We've got to get this clear. So if we read what Paul is saying here and are tempted to think, oh, he's just being really rude about this group of people or that group of people, no, because he's arguing from beginning to end that everyone, himself included, is not okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. Jesus alone can make us okay with God and with each other and with ourselves. Let's just look at this in a little bit more detail, his argument. So point one, God is revealing his right anger at ungodliness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Like Putin suppresses the truth for his own ends. We suppress, each and every one of us suppress the truth of God's existence. It's what we're like. We just shove it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. See, no one fails to see the reality of God. Verse 20, how, how, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I've thought long and hard about this. Where do we most clearly see the reality of God? in the created order, in ourselves. No one can escape the reality of God because we are made in God's image. We are wired for God, but we suppress that truth. See, no one will be able to say on Judgment Day, I, I didn't know that God existed. Like Bertrand Russell who said, not enough evidence, because the evidence is before us every second of every day in the way that we are wired, the way we work. No one will be able to say, well, look at all the evil out there in the world. See, our culture has been deeply influenced by atheism. I don't know. I mean, when I talked with atheists, I, I, I feel like saying, oh, you've just, you've just trusted what Richard Dawkins says. How do you know what he's saying is true? You just trusted the Q Club from the, the 19th century, which tried to drive a wedge between science and belief in God. So let's just take the chief objection of all the atheism of our day and examine it. The chief objection of new atheism like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Stephen Fry, I'm sure we've heard of them. Yes, it's a bit more subtle now. But Stephen Fry famously said this, yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. It's perfectly apparent that he, as God, is monstrous. Now, that's not just a philosophical claim, is it? That's a visceral, angry claim. But what does it assume? God, if he exists, must be good. If there is evil in the world, God can't be good. Therefore, he can't exist. It only works 
if Stephen Fry knows deep down that God must be good? Well, who says? What if evil has not come from God? What if it's in nature and in humanity for some other reason? See, Paul is saying that it is for some other reason. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but their they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, who are the they that Paul is referring to? We've got to be clear on this. Remember the argument? Paul is arguing that everybody is not okay. He's beginning with the Gentile world. He started with the whole of humanity, and he's referring to a group of people who do not honor God as God, who do not give thanks to him, and they worship images. It almost certainly has in mind the ancient pagan world, Greece and Rome, before them Assyria, Babylon, Egypt. And you can, you can go to the British Museum and see their images. Paul is not saying that they're not beautiful, that they're not skillful, but they're worshipped whether it's Isis or Horus or Athena or Zeus or Juno or Minerva, worship of statues, of images, of human beings or superhumans rather than the creator. What has God done about this? The fact that humanity has turned away from him and worships what is created rather than the creator, what, what does God do? Well, there's lots we could say, but what does Paul say? Well, therefore, God hands us over. God hands idolaters over to futility and lust. How does God express his anger in the present, now, today, in our lives? Although he's talking about the Greeks and the Romans, as we'll see, he's prosecuting an argument that makes each and every one of us guilty before God. But what happens? Verse 21. They become futile. They became futile in their thinking. Futility. Life is meaningless. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The Old Testament is great at this. It just says, look, you, you, you get a block of wood, you, you chop it in half, one half you use to light the fire, the other half you worship. That's really intelligent, isn't it? As if that gave rise to you when you've made it. Or verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. Futility, folly, filth. That's what we are like, Paul says as he looks at the Greek and the ancient world, this is what they did. Now, before we go, we're still into just, just looking at idolatry. We're not looking at uh, the, the sins of, of homosexuality. We're looking at idolatry. And before we even think about homosexuality, I mean, today's culture would say, who am I to even say anything about it? I, I recognize that. I feel the weight of this. So I want to first go to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about heterosexual lust. So keep your finger there and come with me to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 27. Uh, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon he preached. Except people don't like this bit. You said that it was, you, sorry, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what's the penalty, Jesus? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I mean, that's, those are difficult words, are they not? If Jesus is loving, perfectly loving, surely he says this out of love. He doesn't want people to go to hell. In fact, he went to the cross to take the punishment for people like you and me so that we need never go to hell. But he's saying, look, this, this filth runs deep. It goes so deep, you can't even deal with it by cutting off bits of your body. No, it goes right to your heart. I don't know if you've ever gone potholing. Anybody ever gone potholing? I'm the only one who's gone potholing. No? Oh, sorry. I thought somebody else might have gone potholing. Anyway, uh, I remember going potholing in Wales. Uh, it was a school trip, so it was a long time ago. And we came out absolutely covered in mud. Absolutely. I had mud in places I never knew you could get mud. It was, it was just everywhere. Uh, it does, uh, there's no point in trying to sort of clean off one bit with another because I was totally filthy. The only way that I could be cleaned off was somebody to get one of these high pressure, I mean, and we were just hosed down to get the mud off. If that helps. Paul is trying to say, look, you can't clean yourself off. You, you can't keep the law of God. You can't be good enough for God because this problem goes right deep down. Now, back to the text, back to Romans. So let's just go back to Romans. There are distinctions here that I think need to be made, just so that we're clear on what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying. Neither Jesus nor Paul are overturning the good desires of appreciation of beauty. Whether it's the beauty of a woman or the beauty of a man appreciated by men or women, Beauty is a good thing, created by God, to be appreciated. But what's being spoken of here is sexual desire that is without reference to God. It is what goes on in our hearts in which we make a decision to get rid of God, to get rid of his ethics, his definition of what is right and wrong, and just do what that we want. As the Psalms, written 3,000 years ago, 500 years before the civilization of Greece, as the Psalms say, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
So Paul, in condemning heterosexual, sorry, Jesus in condemning heterosexual godlessness, oh, and, and Paul as well, uh, what, what does he condemn? Well, it's that, that moment in our hearts when we don't want to live in line with God's pattern and want to just do what the heck we like with our sexual desires. But in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he condemns pornography. He condemns sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend before marriage. He condemns the attitude of our hearts that are not in line with heterosexual marriage. Now, if that is the standard, is anyone guilt-free? I know I'm not. Would anybody be brave enough here to say that, yeah, I'm, I'm guilt-free, I, I don't struggle with lust, if that's the definition of what lust is? that attitude of heart contrary to God, that getting God out of our hearts and doing what the heck we like. Now, Paul is talking about the Gentile world, but can you see it has application to absolutely everyone, to me and to you? So what does God do with that attitude of heart? Well, he hands us over to it. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is what the Gentile world did, obviously, flagrantly, in all its worship, in all its temples. And so God gave them over to it. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, I know that that's massively countercultural. It was in Greece and Rome. Paul was unashamed of the gospel and the Old Testament background to the life, the perfect life of Jesus. Jesus living out of Leviticus 18. Jesus teaching that sex was for one man and one woman for life and everything outside that is counter to what God desires. I know that this is countercultural. I feel the weight of saying these words in our culture. But let's not forget that Paul said similar words. Well, these are the words we get them from in a similar culture, which exalted sexual practice of just about every kind you can imagine. But we might object, well, Paul is saying here, isn't he, that the women exchange natural relations and, and the men exchange natural relations. We know, we know so much more about nature now. Paul was ignorant about nature. We know that... You know, in nature, you have polygamy and polygyny and just about every kind of arrangement you can imagine. That's not what Paul means by nature here. He's referring to the nature as defined in Genesis 1 and 2, where there is specific language of lock and key, if I can just put it in those terms, in terms of sexual relationships. It's reiterated in Leviticus 18. Jesus follows it, fulfills it. Nature is not a good place to find our ethics, is it? If you're a biologist, you will know that you can get just about every kind of behavior in nature. Rape, infanticide, 
cannibalism, genocide. Nature's not a good place to get your ethics from. And science can't tell you that what is an is should be an ought. As David Hume famously said. No, Paul is not singling out a particular sin here. Rather, he's using something that was a cultural marker. What did the Jews call the Gentiles? Dogs. I'll leave it to your imagination as to why that was. And so what Paul is doing, he's saying, look, this is the Gentile world. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of right. He's talking about the Gentile world. He's not singling out some particular group of people. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. Yeah, we, we particularly like that one. We sort of, uh, f foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This was what the ancient world was like. Of course, there is much that, and, and we know, don't we? There's much that was noble in the ancient world. Democracy. But that was only for upper-class men. It wasn't for Athenian women. It wasn't for slaves. And it certainly wasn't for the slaves that died in the silver mines outside Athens that funded the whole city. Men, women, and children. And in the ancient world, you could just throw babies away. They were refuse if you didn't want them. Life was cheap. And this is why the average lifespan in the ancient world was between 25 and 28 years, although there's some debate about that. Why am I going into all this detail? I think it's important that we understand the cultural context as well as the biblical context in which Paul is writing these words, not to minimize what he's saying. But what he's saying is God hands idolaters over to futility and lust. And if at this point you're thinking, oh, that's great, then oh, I'm not an idolater, I'm okay. Where does Paul go next? And we're, just, we're drawing to a close. And I know this is difficult to hear. I know it's not comfortable to listen to. But there's two illustrations, I think, which help with this. If you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis, the doctor's not doing that, hopefully, because they're just sort of gleeful. Oh, yeah, you've got cancer. No, they're giving you that diagnosis so that you can be cured. That's why Paul is doing this. He wants people to go to the place of healing, to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Or another illustration, a diamond is a beautiful thing, particularly on a black velvet background. We can't understand the jewel that is the good news of Jesus, the life of Jesus, what he's done without this backdrop. So where does Paul finish as I close? Well, he says, you and I therefore cannot judge. Just flip over the page to chapter 2. I think this is a clinching argument. So he's now directing what he's just said to his readers. Therefore, you have no excuse O human, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, he's probably thinking particularly of his Jewish 
uh, readers or listeners, as he's gone through all, all the sort of ugliness of the Gentile world. Do you see what he says? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the same things. You see, according to Paul and his argument here, we're all like this. doesn't matter whether we're religious people, Jews who've become Christians in, in the first century, or Gentiles who've become Christians. This is what we're all like. And so we must not judge because we're all idolatrous. We all get rid of God from our lives. We have to do that in order to sin at that point. We all struggle with a variety of lusts. Do we not? Or is that just me? Yeah, I'm, I'm human. We're all equal. We're all made in God's image. We have all fallen into idolatries. We all face the right judgment of God. None of us are okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. But praise God. God wants to make us okay through his son, Jesus Christ. Do we trust in him? Paul wanted people to trust in him. You see, the problem with the atheistic and the pagan view of the matters we've been talking about is that they create a them and us. A them and us always creates divisions. It always creates judgment of other people. It always encourages trolling and disrespect and cancelling in reality. We're all made in the image of God. We're all people who are so valuable to God that he sent his son to die for people like us. Gay and straight, black and white, men and women, whoever we are. And we're not righteous because we're those things. We're not okay. We need Jesus to make us okay. See, the solution to self-acceptance is God's acceptance. I mean, if God accepts us, who is anybody else to reject us? And that's what Paul is about, this gospel of righteousness from God, a free gift, a free gift that makes us clean. God washing us so that we are as pure and perfect as he is. Oh, such good news for people like me who know that their heart is deeply dark. God forgiving us, taking the judgment we deserve, giving us his righteousness so that we can gladly say, I'm not okay. You're not okay. But God in Jesus makes us perfectly okay to him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the gospel, that it is good news, and yet it's so difficult to, to believe and understand in this atheistic culture in which we live. Lord, please help us increasingly to see this glorious and wonderful freeing truth this good news that Paul was willing to die for that none of us are okay but Jesus and faith in him can make us acceptable to you
can make us forgiven and washed and clean in your sight and therefore in our sight and the sight of all people. Amen. Thanks, John. These passages are hard to wrestle with, aren't they, in the context we live in today? Let's be chatting more about it. Let's be thinking about it. Um, let's take a moment just to think about that. I'm not okay. You're not okay. But Jesus is okay. As we think about who we are, it's right to think about our own nature, what God is like. So I'm just going to summarise a couple of words of scripture, um, sorry, words from scripture, and then we'll have a pause just of quiet reflection. And then there's some words of a confession prayer um, on the sheet which we'll share together. So here we go. For, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's just pause on what we've heard. Let's say this prayer together now then. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and confess our many sins, which we have committed by thought, word and deed, against your divine majesty, provoking your wrath and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are truly sorry for all our misdoings. The memory of them grieves us. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that from now on we may always serve and please you in lives wholly renewed by your Spirit. To the honour and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in the Son as Saviour and Lord, the Lord Jesus. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's um, stand and sing our next two songs. There are, uh, I mean, I don't know if Sam, you wanted to mention anything about um, the first one. It's not one we've sung before. Um, Thanks.